0: Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women of all ages and all stages of menopause. And it's become a phenomenon. I hear that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Hormone Harmony is by Happy Mammoth, the company dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients like herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to stressors, including hormonal changes that naturally occur throughout a woman's lifetime. They can help alleviate hot flashes, night sweats, and that feeling of being tired all the time. The biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in the more than 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code datingwhilegray at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code datingwhilegray for 15% off today. For me, getting back out there means sprucing up my date night wardrobe, but I don't necessarily want to have a lot of extra stuff to hang on to. That's why I was happy to find out about armoire. It's a clothing rental service, and it really takes away the stress about what to wear. For a monthly fee, members get access to high-quality designer clothing for any occasion. Just take a five-minute style quiz to get suggestions, and then pick what you want. The clothes arrive in as little as two days. One of the items I chose is a green v-neck wrap dress that works for both business and pleasure. And here's one thing I really love. Armoire is women-founded and women-led. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash gray. That is armoire.style, A R M O I R E.style slash gray to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This is Rock Creek Park. It's an unexpected stretch of glorious nature in noisy and crowded Washington, D.C. It's more than twice the size of New York Central Park, and it's a great place to spend some time alone thinking or taking a walk and talk with a friend, maybe go for a hike or a run. I'm here to meet journalist and author Florence Williams, I've been wanting to chat since I read her book, The Nature Fix. The subtitle is, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. And it illuminated the science of why I felt so good post-divorce, exploring my new hometown's parks and wooded walking paths. Florence's latest book covers a related topic. We'll talk about what she went through and what we can all learn from it on this episode of Dating While Gray, The Grown-Up's Guide to Love, Sex, and Relationships, I'm Laura Stasi. Florence Williams' latest book is Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey, She wrote it after her long marriage came to a sudden end, sparking an emotional and physical health crisis. In the beginning of Florence's book, she writes that one of the first stages of heartbreak is, quote, feeling stunned, even if you shouldn't have been.
1: I I met the man who would be my husband my first day of college. So I was 18 years old. We dated for seven years. We got married. We were married for 25 years. Uh, two children. And then um, one day, seemingly out of the blue, he handed me his phone to look at an email from his brother. And only there was a different email on his phone. And it was a message um, to another woman. And it was actually in his drafts folder. And he had been just kind of writing these emails to someone he thought he was in love with, but not sending them but I didn't realize that at the time. Anyway, it was like, you know, it was, yeah, it was this just moment of being really shocked and stunned. And what, what is, what am I seeing? What is this? Yeah. And it took, it took a couple of weeks really to sort of, um, you know, get the story out.
0: Do you think it was Freudian on his part? (laughs) I'm just
1: curious. Yeah. You wonder, right? I I think it might've been (laughs) because in you know, the, we did a couple of years of therapy after that and, at one point, he said, Oh, I'm just so relieved. You know, I feel so much better. <laughs> I was like, Well, I'm glad you feel better. <laughs> yeah. I really don't feel so good. <laughs> yeah. So
0: he was having an affair.
1: It was an emotional affair. Yeah. Which yeah. I
0: have to say, people do caveat that. And emotional affairs are just as devastating, I think, than physical affairs. Or as physical affairs, maybe even more so because sometimes I think if they just have sex and get it over with, you know, that'll end the longing or the yearning that often comes with emotional affairs.
1: Yeah, there actually are some studies looking at this, you know, the effects of emotional affairs on a marriage versus physical affairs or sexual affairs. And, you know, it's kind of all over the map. I mean, in general, I, one, one study I saw said that men tend to take sexual infidelity more seriously and women take emotional infidelity more seriously. But, you know, we all take them both seriously, <laughs> I think yeah. is sort of the bottom line. Especially, you know, if you really feel like it's interfering with your, your feelings for each other and, and your own sort of sense of loyalty and safety
0: so you know people say affairs are not the problem but a symptom of the problem and i wonder if you think your marriage could have continued had you not discovered the emails or were you actually not personally fulfilled but thinking growing apart wasn't a good reason to get divorced and discovering this you know email sort of made you made you confront it
1: i think there's no question that we had been sort of growing apart, or we were in a phase where we were, I think, feeling a little bit disconnected. And I guess I I wasn't as concerned about that because I feel like in a long marriage there are periods of disconnection. There just are. It, you know, it's it's like a it's like a kind of a waving stream. Sometimes there are periods of connection. Sometimes there are periods of disconnection. You sort of come together and you go apart, and you come together and you go apart, and. I had many ways of rationalizing this particular disconnection, you know, big new job for him, cross country move for both of us, you know, demanding times in our lives. I was like, okay, you know, we're, we're sort of doing our own thing for a while. It'll get better. I'm not too worried about it, but I, I guess I should have been more worried about it.
0: Well, What can we do though? I mean, should have, would have, could have, you know, we all look back, but, um,
1: no, I had faith that we could put it back together, and I think he had sort of lost that faith, it turns out.
0: Yeah, and I you you said a very descriptive thing in the book, something about you thought the puzzle pieces could go back together, but he was already packing up the puzzle pieces in the box to put it away. Yeah,
1: he he was kind of happy to look at the next toy, I think. Oh, okay.
0: But so you almost immediately felt physical symptoms with this discovery.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, you know, immediately I sort of, I think I felt like my stomachs, you know, sort of fell through the floor, this intense, you know, stress response where, you know, you become suddenly very aware that you're imperiled. I, you know, over these, especially those these first few months, I mean, I really had trouble sleeping. I lost a lot of weight. Um, I felt really hypervigilant and anxious and sort of jittery you know, I, I burst into tears all the time. <laughs> I was ac- acutely sort of freaked out. I was really freaked out about not just about the loss, you know, and the grief, but about what the hell is going to happen now? Yeah. What comes next? And I think that that's, that's actually a stage of grief that isn't often acknowledged. Some people call it, um, you know, the sixth stage of, of grief and it's anxiety.
0: I'm wondering, is it the negative emotions that lead to the physical issues, like negative emotions leading to lack of sleep and feeling anxious? And does that then lead to, you know, changes in your blood pressure and your
1: heart? I think that can happen, you know, if you look at an emotion like rage. But but I actually think what I was experiencing and and, and what many of us experience is something more deeply evolved than that. And it's just literally this feeling like you've been left alone, kind of on the savanna, <laughs> right? So our bodies don't really make the distinction between being abandoned by love and being abandoned, you know, by your close kin or by your family or being sort of cast out. In which case, in our you know, in the Pleistocene, if you were cast out, um, you know, you really were at much higher risk of getting attacked. Or of injury. And so our bodies respond to that on a on a just very, you know, basic cellular level of look out, you're about to be attacked because you've been abandoned. Wow. So we're gonna pump out a lot of extra inflammation in your immune system. The genetic markers in your white blood cells literally change. Uh. The types of blood cells, the types of immune cells your body puts out change, changes in response to preparation for attack. Uh. And the, the nervous system kicks into really high gear um, because we're afraid and we're anxious. And so that, you know, all this is happening sort of subconsciously, regardless of how, you know, angry or understanding, you know, you might feel in the moment. Um, on some level, you feel really unsafe. Mm. And so that's what your body's responding to. It's not even really emotional. It's, it's, it's much more sort of, um, you know, deep, deep Primitive parts of our brains um, responding, and, and that in turn turning on these cellular processes and our immune systems. And those in turn um, are likely to make us more sick. Uh, and this is something we see in people who consider themselves lonely. Yeah. Um, you know, chronically lonely people we know die sooner, we know they suffer from chronic diseases. Um, and this happens in, unfortunately, it can happen in people who get divorced. You know, they have a higher rate, 26% increased risk of, of death, you know, um, you know, at least for a while. And it takes about four years for our bodies and our, our immune cells to kind of even just return to baseline, if we're lucky. Some people, unfortunately, don't return to baseline. And that's what's driving the higher death rates. Yeah, and it sounds like we have
0: to work at it, too. It doesn't just happen that we have to make a conscious effort to make ourselves feel better. Yes?
1: I think so, because heartbreak is not its not just a sort of dramatic emotional response. It's actually, as as one immunologist told me, he said, this is a hidden landmine of human existence Mm. and it puts our health very much at risk and so it is absolutely imperative i think to take it seriously if it's happening to you if it's happening to your friends take it seriously do everything you can um to get better yeah
0: feeling better we'll hear from florence about that plus dating all gray listeners share their experiences and no surprise nature takes center stage that's after the break
2: you can call me carrie it was over a year and a half it was about 19 months we went out we were supposed to have left in the first part of april to go on a uh, we were going to utah to do some hiking and um when we broke it off in March, I had hoped maybe we could still go as friends, but obviously we couldn't. And so I didn't want to give that time back to work. So I had this this like 12-day span that I was going to be off. And I was writing in my journal and I said, if I could do anything, I'd want to go to a beautiful place for a writing retreat because I, I love to write. I Googled and I found it was like the second thing that came up. Uh, this Himalayan writing retreat in the Himalayans of India, exactly the dates that I would have been gone. And so, in three weeks, I planned this trip to India. I truly believe that it was meant to happen. It just completely like brought down the curtain on the old. It was like a portal to me. And I believe I'm still walking in that portal. And maybe it's best that that friendship be gone because maybe that would have been a little energy leak or drain or whatever that keeps you you know kind of tied back. So I'm I'm just kind of walking forward, and what happens happens.
3: My name is Hunter. I am a nurse and I live with my husband, John. When I moved to San Francisco, I somehow hooked up with the gay and lesbian Sierrans. And I took my first trip to Yosemite. And it was just, I don't know, it was like a whole new world open to me. The Sierra, the drama of the, the mountains and everything is just, it's awe-inspiring. And I remember when I, I first saw Half Dome for the first time. I was sitting on Glacier Point across from it, looking out at it. And, you know, just seeing the whole wide Sierra, I just I just started crying. And I knew then that, that I just had to be out in nature, and that it had to be a big part of my life, and it has been. In the mountains, in the Sierra, and, you know, there's nothing around. There's the sound of the wind in the trees that just calms me down
4: every time i think back to my childhood where we, i
3: was outside
4: running around somewhere and you know at, at 5 30 or 6 o'clock i i might hear my mom calling from the front porch you know johnny come home later i started more hiking you know when i was on on my own hiking and in my 20s backpacking i kind of learned that the more time i spent in the city the more time i would need to spend away from the city so Getting out camping or hiking or backpacking was my way of releasing that, that pressure. I, if I spent a lot of time in the city, I kind of like feel this pressure of humanity that there's a lot of people. And if I can go somewhere where I know there's nobody else within a mile of me or two miles or 10 miles or even a hundred miles, it feels different. And I, I feel like I can relax a little bit. I have a, a tough time with social situations. So for me, that release of pressure really helps a lot. I was up to the top of my head with stuff and, um, and took the dog and went out into the back country for six days by myself. And, uh, it was a really tough hike, but
3: it was really worth it. I, I wanted to add, you know, I, I know this about John and, um, I think we've, Struggled a little bit to get him out in the back country every year. I think he was much more consistent with it before he met me. And what we've discovered in our relationship is that he has to get out there alone, without me, and I have to really find a way to help him make that happen. And um, I think it's been a challenge, and it, for us to kind of discover that. And I'm really glad we did. He's a different person. All that tension is drained away. I see it as soon as I see him.
0: Was that threatening to you when he said, I need to be by myself?
4: No. There, there was a year when you wanted me to get a GPS so you could know I mean, where I was all the time and be able to check in. Yeah, that's true. But I'm not going to lie. I worry.
0: Thank you, Hunter and John. You'll hear more of their story later in the season. Thanks also to Carrie, You heard her story of pandemic love in the first episode of this season. Heartbreak isn't only a miserable feeling, it's a health risk. So I asked Florence Williams, how
1: can we recover? I kind of divide it into three major buckets. And the first is that we need to do whatever we can to sort of calm down. You know to get out of that acute state of anxiety, that fight or flight state, because when we're in that state, there's no other healing that's really going to happen. You know, for me, it was going outside into nature, um, it was hanging out with my friends, it was moving my body, um, and so on. That's the first bucket, the sort of calm piece, calming down. And then the second piece is really connection. So Um, This we know is kind of an antidote to loneliness. It's also an antidote to heartbreak. So I think when we're heartbroken, we feel like it's a very singular event. We feel that we're going through this alone. Um, And even though heartbreak is a sort of universally felt experience, it's not very common. You know, we may only go through it a couple of times in a lifetime. And so uh, at least on a, you know from a big relationship, and so um, we don't necessarily have friends going through it at the same time. So I think it's really important to. Connect with the friends you do have. You know, if you need to ask for help, that's really important. Be vulnerable with your friends so they can be vulnerable back. Um, Reach out to other people who may have gone through this experience. Um, You know, connect to people you don't know so well. Make new friends who you can identify with. For many of us, connecting to nature is also actually a surprising antidote to loneliness. The third piece is is kind of a surprising one, and it's actually purpose. Purpose and meaning. So what can we learn from this event going forward? What lessons can we take away to help other people? Um, This is where really interesting things start happening to your immune system. (laughs) Mm. And we know this because for the book, I did this experiment Um, where I worked with uh, a researcher at UCLA and we tested my Sort of genetic markers and uh, my white blood cells, my transcription factors, sort of determining which, which, which blood cells I was making. And he's been studying this for decades and he, he knows that, you know, lonely people have different sort of blood profiles than, than people who aren't lonely. Mm. Uh, he'd never actually worked with a journalist going through heartbreak before. So that was kind of fun. We did it in real time, you know, pretty close yeah. after the split and then, you know, for a couple of years after. And what he's found in his research, you know, over the decades, is that it's not necessarily lonely people who start hanging out with other people, you know, and volunteering or whatever, who um, are joining a church group or what you we know, whatever. Those things are helpful, but they don't necessarily change your immune markers. What actually make you healthier is finding purpose and meaning in
0: your life. Yeah, you talked about being in nature, and we mentioned the Nature Fix, your previous book, uh, one of your previous books,
1: and I really loved it. It's something I am passionately uh, sort of advocating for people that when we feel connected to nature, it really does calm our nervous system. We know this from lots of studies, um, measuring people's kind of cardiovascular responses to different environments, um, measuring their stress hormones, measuring their moods and sort of general states of optimism and so on. And all this stuff really improves even just after 15 minutes of being in a pleasant natural environment. 15 minutes, that's, so that's easy to do, 15 right? minutes. It's easy to do it. You don't even have to sort of exercise through it. You can sit sit under a tree and drink a cup of tea or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. where you can sort of hear the birds and, and take some deep breaths. Uh, it's actually very profound. Yeah. yeah. Lots of changes. Although I have to say, for people who
0: aren't familiar with you, you are a nature badass. I mean, running the rapids, <laughs> how you did like a, what, 30-day camping trip or something?
1: Yeah, well after I wrote the nature fix, um, you know, I was I was very convinced that being in nature can help us heal, you know, from many, many things in life. Um but I in that book I only sort of look up to the three-day effect, like what happens to our brains and our bodies after three days outside. And I was like, oh, this this is such a whammo, this divorce. I need 30, I'm gonna try 30 days in nature. So yeah, I undertook this 30-day river trip, which you know I don't necessarily recommend for everyone, <laughs> and, it, and it didn't even necessarily help on every level because it was it was um, still kind of a big enough adventure that my nervous system was still pretty amped up. It wasn't it wasn't always relaxing outside, but. but. <laughs>
0: You do mention uh, the feeling of awe, um, which is interesting because it sounds like uh, you used, I'm not judging, but you used psychedelics to achieve this feeling of awe, which I guess, does it make it easier to feel awe as opposed to, I don't know, meditating or doing yoga?
1: Well, I, I I tried to do a lot of things to feel off. <laughs> so one of the most influential to me psychologists I talked to early on said, you know, yes, people who get divorced have worse health outcomes in life. But we know that there are some people who are more resilient. And I was like, tell me, what's the secret? I want that resilience. And she said, well, we think it's actually the people who are the most open to beauty, most open to art or, you know, however it is that you start to feel goosebumps. Um, Goosebumps is kind of a sign of awe, right? Sensing awe. Mm. Um, The people who are most prone to awe and beauty are the ones who actually tend to kind of you know, bounce back really, really well, and I, I thought, okay, so I, that determined the course of my next two years of writing the book. I was determined to just cultivate beauty <laughs> everywhere I knew how, find some awe. And at one point, you know, about two years in, I um, I talked to another psychologist, Dacher Keltner, who's kind, he's kind of like one of the primary researchers studying awe and the science of awe. And and he was the one who said, you know, you might want to look into taking psychedelic mushrooms because it's it's like a technicolor. Mm. And I thought, okay, that's what I want. I want to do like next, next level awe. Yes. So I did and um tried it. I had never done them before. And I, I worked with a therapist. Again, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this for everyone because there are a lot of risks associated with these substances and it's very important sort of how you take them and in what context and so on. Mm-hmm. Um but for me, it was actually a surprisingly helpful sort of modality. Oh. I, I had these really interesting visions of of how my future could be beautiful, oh. you know, and not scary. And I think it helped me kind of separate more easily and kind of more finally um, from my marriage and from being so attached to kind of who I was in that marriage.
0: You want to talk a little bit about sex?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, Oh boy, let's see where to start. I guess, you know, I, I was 50 when my marriage, you know, finally fell apart for good. And, um, I, I definitely was feeling bad about that. Like, oh, I am too old to really do this again. And no one will ever find me attractive and blah, blah, blah. A big self-esteem issues going on there. Um, not just feeling, not feeling attractive. And I didn't, I, I wasn't looking you know, for a, an immediate kind of, um, I guess, uh, rebound, you know, or fling, but but it, it it actually just kind of happened. And I was so knocked over by um, how good that felt, just to kind of feel lusty and to feel desirable um, and to feel that desire. It, for me, that felt very alive making in a way that was very just self-affirming on sort of every level. Um, it's not necessarily going to feel like that for everyone, and I think that um, it's important to, you know, if you're going to have a rebound, um, it's important to find someone with whom you feel safe, and yes, that you're not, you're not going to feel like sort of instantly betrayed again right away because that is really hard. Um, and, and 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 turns out, you know, my my first sort of go out the gate was was not really a successful. <laughs> Pairing or <laughs> kind of on any level, um, aside from, you know, how good the desire felt. But, but then I sort of got back, you know, in the saddle, as it were, and, um, found that the physical touch and the physical intimacy was very healing. Uh, and, and certainly there is some science, of course, about how physical touch does directly uh, calm us down. It you know releases oxytocin, it inhibits stress hormones like cortisol. It can feel really safe and wonderful to do that. If it's, again, someone you feel is not going to kind of be threatening or horrible. Yeah. Where's the science showing that rebounds are a bad idea? And in fact, there wasn't any. Um, and And what there was, was there was some science indicating that having a rebound could be really good for your self-esteem could help you um, put more distance between you and, and your ex, um, could give you sort of a, a, a more optimism about the future and about your own sort of attractiveness. So, so yeah, that's great. Is there anything else I need to know? <laughs> um, boy, let's see, lots to talk about. Um, you know, I guess I would just tell people to be patient with their trajectories of healing, you know, I think I, I. Many of us think it should take a year. I, you know, after a year, I should feel great. I should be totally back on my feet. And unfortunately, you know, it's usually not that fast. Um, like I said, the the research seems to suggest that it takes about four years for our bodies to return to ba- to baseline. Um, and and some people take longer. Um, so be patient with yourself. You know. Don't feel terrible if you still, you know, feel, feel sad and angry and all that stuff, you know, for a long time. Yeah, uh, be patient. And again, work hard, though. <laughs> be patient, but also work hard to try to do what you can to recover because your health depends on it. My thanks to Florence.
0: She's now five years post-split and says she's feeling great. Her youngest child just left for college, and she recently sold the marital home. She's figuring out where she wants to live next, and she's in a long-distance relationship. They met after Florence sent an email to a group of folks she describes as loose acquaintances, letting them know she was ready for romance and did they know anyone who was available. An email, what a great idea. But I think what's more important to remember is something else Florence told me. While it's scientifically proven that romantic relationships can be great for our emotional and physical well-being, we don't have to be in one to reap the health benefits. There are other ways to love and to be loved. And in the end, it's love that really matters. Dating While Gray is produced in partnership with North Carolina Public Radio. For more on the show, check out datingwhilegray.com. That's also where you can find links for sending voicemails and emails. I'd love to hear from you. I'm Laura Stassi. Thanks for listening.
3: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.